Am I on? Here I am. It's helpful if I turn it on. It's good. Uh, so great to see you. So thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. So thankful to all of you that are joining us online. Really grateful that you are here. You may or may not know this, but this is the 20th anniversary of what the church in the United States really has celebrated as Orphan Sunday. And throughout this city and throughout really the entire country, churches are stopping to remember orphans, to remember the need for that kind of ministry that Jesus talked about specifically when he said, let the little children come to me. And that James talked about specifically in James chapter 127, when he said, there is no purer religion than care for widows and orphans. And here's what I know. We tell our team this all the time. If, if you have to think about the priority of things, like how you're going to spend your day, what you're going to do with your time, what you're going to put to your hands, the, the work of your hands and the direction of your feet. There's three things you should remember to, to remember what the priorities of how you spend your time are. One, first and foremost, the purposes of God every day. Think about the purposes of God, what they are, and work those out. Second, people. Think about the people around you, the people we minister to, the people, the people that God's placed in our path and, and make sure that we make them a priority. And the very third thing for us is programs, all the things that we do here at the church to, to foster uh, saturating the 4B area with the gospel. Here's what I know. Orphan care is clearly in the scripture a purpose of God. And I've really been thankful to see the DNA of our own team sort of come alive around orphan care with three of our families that have been deeply involved, either through adoption on our staff or through orphan care on our staff. And I want to extend that invitation to you. There's a lot of ways that people can get involved with, with caring for the orphan here in the United States of America. One of our kingdom partners is Sanctuary Foster Care, the Sanctuary. And they are an incredible organization right here in our own city that help to connect families who seek to foster, who seek to, to, to be a part of the solution when it comes to uh, what, is, what is going to be the next night in this child's life or what is this child's going to look like, in, life going to look like in the day ahead. I want to show, show you a short video about Sanctuary Foster Care. So if you would just watch the screens.
So I want to invite you today after uh, either one of the services in the lobby, the sanctuary has a table outside with some representatives, some who are on the board here from our own church, uh, a case worker that works with Sanctuary Foster. And here's what I think. I think God, if you open your heart, is calling some of you to adopt calling some of you to foster care. I know he won't call all of us to that. He won't call all of you to that, but, but he will call us to do something because this is such, such a purpose of God. And so maybe you can commit to prayer. Maybe you can commit to giving, but check out the ministry at, at the table in the back, the sanctuary foster care that, that will be significant. And, uh, I, I think it got dark in the room, right? (laughs) So don't be alarmed. Can you still see your Bible? Because that's what you're going to need next. So Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Philippians chapter 2, let there be light. And there was light. That's in Genesis. Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 13. And I want to pray a prayer over you before we uh, jump into the message today. And it comes right out of Philippians chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10, sometimes praying the scripture is oftentimes a very powerful tool in our prayer life. And so I just want to pray this over you if you'd bow your head and close your eyes, and then we'll, we'll stand and read the scriptures in just a minute. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and uh, we need to hear from you. There's, there's really no one else in the universe that we need to hear from more. And so, God, would you make us into the people that you need us to be, that you want us to be, that you've designed us to be? Would you make your love abound in us more and more? Give us knowledge and discernment so that we can approve what is excellent, so that we can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We can't manufacture righteousness on our own, so clothe us in your righteousness, Jesus, to the glory and praise of God the Father and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me and we'll read Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 13. And at the end of the main text reading, we say this phrase, the very words, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what the scripture says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my being of the same, uh, my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one, one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can be seated. We are in uh, Sermon 2, Chapter 2 of a study on the book of Philippians called Living Christ for Real. And the reason that we chose to add the words for real at the end of the title, Living Christ, is because we have an epidemic problem in the church in the United States of America. And that's that we have a lot of information about Christ, but we don't live out Christ on a day-to-day basis. Today, Paul encourages the Philippian church, which was a good church, which was facing cultural pressure that had some division in it, but it was a good church, healthy for the most part over time. He encourages them to have the mind of Christ, and that's what I want to talk about today. The United States desperately needs a church the church of Jesus to walk in the ways of Christ with the mind of Christ thinking and loving like he does in the midst of the culture. There are a lot of things that we point out in the culture and say, you know, if this was different, if that was different, but I think the most important thing that could happen in the culture of the United States of America is the church to begin to walk out their relationship with Jesus in obedience, having the mind of Christ. Here's what Paul says. So if you go back to Philippians chapter two, beginning of verse one, he kind of makes this case for the fact that being in Christ means being like Christ. Being in Christ means being like Christ. So verses one and two, he just says, if you have any encouragement in, in Christ, if you've had comfort from the love of Christ, if you participate or fellowship with the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, if you've benefited from the affection from the sympathy of christ is this your experience he's kind of getting getting ready to do an if then statement if this is you and ask yourself this question as we begin this morning is this me am i someone who's experienced encouragement in christ someone who has been comforted with the love of christ am i uh, someone participating in the fellowship of the holy spirit am i someone who's received affection and sympathy from christ if that's you if that's your experience with jesus which for many of us it is. If that's your experience, then Paul goes on to say in verse two, be these things, be like-minded, have the same love that Christ has. Be one in spirit, one soul, sort of moving together for the glory of Christ for the sake of the gospel. Have the same purpose. If you've experienced Jesus, then have his mind and walk it out. That's basically what he's saying. Being in Christ is being like Christ. A lot of times we want to say, like, we're in Christ. I'm in church. I know Jesus. I'm in him. But to be in him is to be like him. He's very simple. When he called his disciples, 
originally. And he said to them, come follow me. What we don't understand about that is he wasn't just saying, hey, walk around behind me. He was saying, come be like me. Come learn my way. Come watch what I do. And then you're going to take that and do even greater things, right? And so being in Christ, Paul is just making the case that being in Christ means being like Christ. And if we're going to be like Christ, then Paul says this in verses 3 through 8, that we have to have the mind of Christ. Listen to verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So this is what in Paul's mind would mark a Christ follower, someone who is different than the rest of the world and a church made up of Christ followers that's walking out this sort of same mind, same heart as Jesus. The thing that would mark them would be incredible humility. They wouldn't be a, a church or a people that do things out of rivalry. There wouldn't be divisiveness or divisiveness in the church because of rivalry or conceit, but they would be living out the same mind and they would think of others more than they think of themselves. That kind of humility. You know, the, 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 the very first step to following Christ is a step of humility. The very first one. It is the very first exercise. Why? Because some somehow someone either talked to you about it, the Holy Spirit convicted you, you heard these words that and began to, to, to understand that I'm a sinner. Just to admit that is an exercise in humility. And then to learn that I can't save myself from my own sin. Like there's nothing I can do to overcome this. That's an exercise in humility. I have no hope in and of myself. And then to come before a holy God through Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sins and bow low before him and say, I confess that you are Lord. You know, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, we are also saying we are not, I am not. The first exercise, the very first thing that we must do to follow Christ is exercise humility, but it doesn't, it's not just one act. It's something that characterizes our life the entire time we walk the planet in Christ. Now, Paul describes what this humility looks like, and it is an amazing section of scripture. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It's already yours in Christ Jesus, who, this is, listen to how humble our Lord is who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. So we all struggle with a God complex. We all say to ourselves at one time or another, I'll have it my way. I'll do it my way. It's the beginning of sin in the garden. That, that very thing. It's a sin of pride. 
Jesus is the only one, according to all of scriptures, the, the only one that is, that is God. He is, he is the second person of, of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When you study God from beginning to end in the Bible, you realize that Jesus was there always. That he always has been. Do you know that he didn't begin in Bethlehem in the first century? But in fact, Jesus strapped on the skin of an infant. This is what Paul is echoing. This, I mean, how much more humble can you get to go from the sovereign king of the universe sitting in the throne room of heaven to infancy with no clothes? This is what Paul says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he was God himself. He did not account equality, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Now, this is our Lord. This is, our, this is the one who said to you at some time or another, hey, come follow me. And you said, Okay. And you confess that he is Lord and you've been trying to grow in your relationship with Christ, hopefully ever since. The, 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 what Paul says is that the, one of the, the first things that Jesus does that's most prominent about him is he makes himself nothing and takes on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself. Now, this is what I was saying earlier that Paul uh, says of Jesus, he literally strapped skin on of an infant. And if you could imagine where he was born, it's not like, it's not like the sovereign king of the universe was born in an earthly palace. It's a shepherd's cave. It's, it's the lowest of the low no, you know, we, 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 some of us grew up in church and, and, and saw the Christmas pageants where everybody wore their bathrobes. Remember that? How many of you wore a bathrobe in a Christmas pageant? Come on. Be loud. Be proud. I knew it. I knew it. Somebody had the line, there's no room in the inn. Who was the innkeeper? Anybody ever the innkeeper in that pageant wearing a bathrobe? No innkeeper? All right. Somebody back there. I saw the hand go up. Um, there was no room in the inn, not even a place in, in, in the commonplace that people would stay. He's in a shepherd's cave. He's the lowest of the low. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, what sometimes maybe we don't consider, we don't think about is that death on the cross is a humiliating, humbling experience. It's the worst kind of death, not only because of pain and all of that, but because it, it speaks of insurrection. And they did everything they could to humiliate him. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and they mocked him, and they beat him, and they gambled for his clothes. They put sign, a, a sign on the cross uh, in three languages so that everybody that came by could read it. It said the king of the Jews. It was in jest. It was in mock, mockery. People spit on him. And Paul, Paul is saying in the midst of that, forget the pain and the scourging and all of that. But in the midst of that, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. I don't know if we can grasp this kind of humility. The sovereign king of the universe would be born an infant in a no-name town called Bethlehem in a shepherd's cave, live a perfect life and get crucified for it. 
and all in between made himself nothing, becoming a servant. Now, when he he said to you, um, come follow me. He's calling you to be like him. To have his mind. To do the things his hands would do. To say the things his mouth would say. And collectively, all of us having the mind of Christ as a church. And this is what Paul is calling the church at Philippi to do. Have the mind of Christ. He was humble before God. And he, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane to his father. And if there's anything that any other way that you might be glorified and humanity might be restored and rescued from their sin. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And he says to you, hey, come follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. It's all humility. He was humble before men and women. Can you imagine? After a few years, he gathers the disciples and he takes out a towel and he begins to wash their feet, which in, in that particular culture is an extreme act of humility. So much so that Peter is like, don't, 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 don't do that. You can't do that. And he says to Peter, if I don't wash all of you, you're in big trouble. <laughs> so Peter's like, wash all of me then. Utter Humility. He is so humble. Our Jesus is so humble. He's humble before God. He's humble before others. Imagine a church with the same mind. Extreme humility before God. Extreme humility before others. How would the city be different How would the community be different? How would your neighborhood be different? How would this church be different if we had extreme humility before God and extreme humility before others? Humility before God, it's just the, you know what it looks like? It looks like obedience. So humility before God is, humility before God is just waking up and saying, you you are Lord. What do you want me to do today? How can I do it? How can I serve you? It's about your purposes, not mine. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we humble ourselves before him. We participate in his purposes where we, we obey. This is what humility before God looks like. Humility before others just looks like service. It's serving It's meeting needs. And we can all do that. Imagine a church with that kind of mind, with the same love that Jesus had that was completely humble. Just the thought of orphan care this morning in Sanctuary. Sanctuary is a ministry uh, that is a compilation of, of people from many different churches right here. With a heart for seeing Kids connected with families and, and, and having a chance at, at a, a life 
that is different than what they've experienced. And to know Christ, we can participate. We can, we can serve in these ways. When the church is unified, when the church has the mind of Christ, the same love, the same humility, I think everything changes. Peter mentioned it in First Peter chapter 5, 5, 5 to 6. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Whenever we hear the word subject or submissive in the scripture, we tend to have a little balk, right? Like, oh. But here Peter is saying, you know, not only do you, do you submit to Christ, but you submit to the elders, to the leadership of your church. And it's a step of humility. You clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So in the body, we're subject to the elders, to our Lord, and we're humble before each other. That means I count your needs greater than mine. And vice versa, we take care of each other. We look out for each other, even if it costs us, even if it, if it requires sacrifice. Uh, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Uh, Paul said this in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You never get away when, when, when you hear Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, anyone talking about what the church of Jesus should look like. You never get away from humility. It's always humble. Why? Because our Lord demonstrated humility in a greater way than anyone ever has. Imagine a church like that. Last thing I want to share with you comes from verses 12 and 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's what I gained from this section of scripture is there, there is a call when it comes to embracing humility. It's not just a, an internal posture, but it's an internal posture that actually uh, pours out into real life. And, and what we learn is that we are to work out some things and he works in us. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is our part. Now, what does it mean to work out our salvation? To work out that English phrase is a Greek word that originally it means to bear down to the ground, to accomplish, to work really hard at something. This is something that we are going to walk out daily, and Paul says we should do it with fear and trembling, in obedience, in humility before a holy God. This is not to earn your salvation. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling is not to earn your salvation. You cannot earn it. Jesus Christ, in all humility, 
died on a cross to save you from your sins. It's only through Jesus that we can have salvation. There's nothing I can do to earn it. But when I come to Christ and he fills me with his spirit, then every day my present tense reality is that I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling and all humility before God, knowing he is awesome. And he has called me through his son, Jesus, and said to me, come follow me. That's what we work out. We work out our salvation, our present tense obedience with fear and trembling. Not because God desires to smash you, but because he is an awe-inspiring God who had the power to strap on the skin of an infant that we might be saved. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And this is what it goes on to say. He says, uh, he works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the exciting part about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's something about obedience that God honors and works through. I can't always put my finger exactly on why God does what he does. But I do know this from the scriptures and just from watching that God works through obedient people. He works in you for his good pleasure to accomplish his purposes. This, this working in is a Greek word, energon, which is we get our word energy from it it's it's like while we're walking out our salvation and obedience to him he's working his will through us with all his energy through us for his good pleasure this is how god uses our hands and feet to accomplish the purposes of god through humble obedient followers of jesus do you want god to use you for his purposes Humble yourself. Obey him. And for whatever reason, that honors God and he uses us for his will and his good pleasure. There's a a family in our church, the Sonia family, who several years ago, they went to uh, Israel with us. And out of that, came a dream from God. It was for a, a center, a home for women who needed housing, needed counsel, needed care while they were going through pregnancy and just after, especially if they were considering abortion. And so they came back and they began to 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 to, to put their hand to the plow on that. They still started uh, a ministry called Hope House, which is a, a part of Anchor Point, one of our, our kingdom partners here in the city. And I'm going to give you an email, uh, a web address so you can check this out so you know about it. It's just hopecommunityhouston.org. Listen to the mission of Hope, Hope House. The mission of Hope Community is to empower, encourage, and educate young mothers facing unplanned pregnancy. Do you think that that's a purpose of God? Oh my goodness. Yes. If you look at what they do, they, they're just opening up 
I mean, it's amazing how God has provided land. They've built a house. God's providing everything that they, they, they need. And they're going to house women in an 18-month program during and after pregnancy. They'll provide counseling. They'll provide life skills and assistance. Those are the purposes of God being lived out in the community through no one most of you know who just, they were walking and they said, we want to be obedient to the call of God on our life, but this seems impossible. We don't have a house. We don't have land. We don't have all the money we need. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. And they, but they just leaned into it. And you know what God did? Amazing things. Because for some reason, it's just one example. You, there are tons of examples in this room right now. But for some reason, when, when people humble themselves before the Lord and they choose to obey, they hear him and they obey him as he's saying, come follow me. He uses them. This is what Paul means when he says uh, that he uses both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Imagine a church full of people, the church collectively having the mind of Christ. Do you know, and I'll I'll close with this because it's unique to to anything I've experienced in at least in the the years that I've been in, in ministry. Do you know in this particular area that we live in right here, among most of the churches, there is no competition, no rivalry, no conceit. Do you know that pastors sit down and they, they talk and pray together? You know, right now, you, many of you know we have a vision for a counseling center. We're working with another church right here in our area to see if we can form a partnership, inviting other churches to be a part so that we can do something grander than we could do on our own. And I believe it's going to work. The 4BDRN, I see John Eckeberger sitting back there. The the disaster response uh, ministry that was started just after Hurricane Harvey to rebuild homes. You you know what that was? That was initially four or five churches just said, hey, how how can we humble ourselves, make a difference? Who cares where the people go to church after it's over? Just that they know Jesus. I don't know how many churches are involved now. 30-ish. We live in a, a place where we have unlimited potential in our churches for the glory of Christ, for the good of, king, of the kingdom. And I do not want us to miss it. And it's not going to be strategizing and scheming that allows us to see the glory of God. You know what it's going to be? Humility. We bow low and we hear and we obey and we put others' needs before ourselves here inside the body and throughout the communities. 
And then we'll see the 4B area saturated with the gospel. But God is calling us to have the mind of Christ in all of it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And just ask the Lord to speak to you, just about you, about your family, about what he wants to say to you. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. We are reminded from Paul's words here in Philippians, the extreme, the radical humility that you demonstrated. Father, we, we have probably joked a time or two, like don't pray for humility because... You never know what will happen. But God, we do. We, we pray for humility. We pray that these last months and have been humbling. Father, for Bay Area Church, would you give us the mind of Christ? Who didn't account, didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. God, would you make us a people known for our love, for our service? Use us to the fullest for your glory. Father, would you call people today by your spirit to great acts of faith and humility? Thank you for things like the sanctuary and Hope House and 4BDRN and things that have come from people just walking in obedience and hearing your call. I pray that you would call people today here in this room that are listening online, God, to great things, to accomplish your purposes as they walk in humility. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.